0: Oh, I don't, no work. No one wants to. Uh, Pittsburgh kind of shuts down, I feel like, specifically where I'm at. Like, I'm not the only one that's slow. Usually come like February, my friends and I just start calling each other just like, are you growing tired of not working? It's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, are you worried about working again? It's like, yeah, I don't know what to do. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I feel like we always, at least the group I talk to often, it's always just like, yeah i don't know maybe i'll get some time at like instacart to make money and then like my one buddy's like i don't know maybe i'll just try to pa on a film just to do something and then luckily by the time that starts happening or we think that work starts to pick up so yeah kind of in that phase now
1: what's like is it the is it sort of just like the idleness or the financials or like what's the hardest part of that for you I guess
0: both I guess it just depends you know some most of the time i I know that's coming so I have money saved so it's not as big of a deal uh, I think with you know everything going on in the world now it just everything seems a little bit extra at least for me you know so the money I have in my account is just not enough you know and I don't know if there's an actual number that I would feel more comfortable so I think that's part of it just because like you're used to having money come in and you know, now all of a sudden for a month or two, it almost, you know, I, I at least for me, most winters I'm spending more money than I'm making. Yeah. Um, and then, but, and then, yeah, definitely some of it's the idleness. Um, and that's why I try to do like passion projects around this time or like spec work or just something. Cause I kind of have that, you know, hunger to be working and doing something. So whether that's like a demo reel, reaching out to new clients or something, I, I try to at least use that, for good, not just to like sit around and complain for a couple months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Um, we've been talking about that a little bit. Like I feel like I don't necessarily mind the less workness of it. And I think much like you mentioned, I think I just sort of like have normalized to it, whether it's like financially or just whatever else. Um, I've been really enjoying trying to use it as like a time to be more, creative, I guess, like just do my own stuff. Um, and some of that is, you know, even things like this or just posting, you know, I, I was, I started posting a bunch of reels on Instagram for a little while. And part of that was just a exercise for myself more than anything. Um, but we've been talking about the hardest part for me is actually just the, like it's probably some form of like seasonal affective disorder, but it's just like the, like lack of sunlight, not being outside, not being around people as much. And so I think that's the thing that I've really clued on is like, at least for me, the hardest part. So we're talking about um, trying to do two months in Florida this coming winter and just sort of like move home base for like January to March or something. And like, just operate out of there, I guess, you know, I don't know whether that's going to be like just totally chilling still, or if there's going to be like work stuff that comes up and I'm just working out of there or what, but we were just sort of like, we have the flexibility to do it. So like, let's at least try it. Cause yeah, we just get sort of like, we both get very blah. And then the minute the weather starts to come back around, it's like, Oh, I feel like myself again, you know?
0: Totally. I think that's a cool idea. I I hope that happens for you. And it seems like, there's never been a better time, at least in our industry, to do that with so many things being remote and over Zoom and like, I know just more and more companies are setting up like remote edits. I got a buddy, a great director, um, him and his wife just got a house in France. So his plan is to spend, you know, three, four months a year in France and, you know, he could still work if he wants to or if, you know, the rest of the year was good enough, he can just kind of vacation and chill.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's one of those things that I feel like for me, I feel like there's this tendency to make it seem like this really big thing. And I think it can be like people talk about like buying another house or whatever else. Like when we really started looking into it, I was personally surprised that it's like, oh, you can like rent a small furnished place for like 2,500 bucks a month, which is, money. It's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's like, if you're planning on it, you know, much to the, like, I'm used to riding the winter break anyway, that it's like, okay, you can sort of just like take one decent job, sit it in the bank theoretically and go like, okay, that's my two months in Florida money. Um, and if you were to get really, um, if you really wanted to make it work, like we talked about, oh, well we could try to like rent this place while we're there. The biggest problem with that I think is like, turning an actual lived in place into a rental property in terms of like our stuff is everywhere. And like, what do I do with all my gear? And like, it's just like to, to stick random people in this house is hard, but it would be doable. Like if you really wanted to, but I was just sort of surprised it's like, so it's like $5,000. Otherwise it's like, we're going to have to pay for food anyway. We're going to have to do all these other things. I'm already not going to be working a ton anyway. And it's like, we could take like, Uh, I think when we went on our honeymoon, it's like you could take like a week-long tropical vacation for like $5,000 or you can just go live in Florida for two months. And I was like, well, for us, that sort of works out. And it's like, I'm excited to like be able to run outside in January and like ride my bike. And like, I don't know. I think it's going to be a really good time.
0: I think that's really cool. I mean, and you don't have to make it a business thing, but it's like, if you're there, you know, you could do like a networking event. I'm sure you could find some kind of job or something if you really wanted to. I, that's that's cool i'll have to look into that because i guess it's also like if you look at it and you're thinking like in the winter you're like oh man i want to go to florida and you're like oh man five grand right now is not going to happen but if you really planned out it a year two years in advance and just put some money away might not be that that hard to find that would be pretty cool i like that
1: well and it's like to your thing though my experience has been that like new england shuts down i i I don't, I'm not like planning on it, but I would not at all be surprised. Like we're looking at the Tampa area. One to what you said, like you just go, like you're there for two months. It's like, okay, let's like meet people, go to coffee shops, like integrate. If nothing else, it's like in person networking, And not in, like, a sleazy way, but just, like, you get to know people you wouldn't know otherwise. But also, like, I totally see, like, even on the Facebook groups, it's, like, looking for a DP in Tampa or Miami or whatever. And it's like, oh, I could go, like, bounce and shoot a few gigs down there while we're down there. And then you're, again, pretty quickly to at least, like, net neutral where it's, like, instead of sitting home for two months because no one's shooting anything in the Northeast, you know, we, we fronted five grand. But you can sort of clear that back the other way pretty quickly, too. Totally.
0: And I think, I mean, I, at least for me, I, I've never felt like networking in our industry has been sleazy. Like, luckily enough, I feel like when I meet people, I want to. Like, I feel like yeah. we have, like, there's so many cool people, and at least the people I'm, like, following and checking out, like, I just feel like everyone's doing some really cool work. So, yeah, I think, it's, it's, fun. it's
1: fun. I think for the most everyone. part, I agree. I feel like there's been, you definitely meet the people who are, like, you're just here to talk about yourself, you know? Um, that's true but I don't think those people last that long either to be honest like I've had like short little stints with people like that but for the most part I feel like everyone is pretty chill and I feel like most of that I ran into like early in my career it's like that like people initially trying to make a name for themselves sort of thing um and I feel like where we're at now it's like everyone just has a better sense of like who they are what they do what they don't do and like they're not trying to like out angle everyone all the time that's true
0: yeah and I think the longer you're in it you just I mean I've always felt like everyone was super good I never felt like I was better than other people but it's nice like I mean, you included, and I I can't think of anyone specifically, but there's so many people I met, like, on Twitter in, like, 2009, you know, like, right graduating college, those first couple NABs, and it's, like, cool to see them now. It's like, wow, there's so many people, like, still crushing it. Yeah. That have, like, gone through.
1: It's funny you mentioned that, because I was talking to someone recently about that, where I was, like, it's, I feel like a cranky old man, but it's, like, when I started, the film online community was all on Twitter, And then it, like, moved over to Facebook for a while. And that's where, like, the super secret group and other stuff got big for a little bit. And then I feel like it's sort of moved to Instagram, but I feel like it's also sort of homeless right now. Like, it, like, uh, fractured into, like – there's, like, some sub-communities that seem to, like, hang out on YouTube. And there's some people, like – obviously, lots of DPs are out here posting frames all the time on Instagram. But it feels like – It feels much more one way to me now. Like I feel like it used to be much more like consistently conversational and I feel like for a while it just turned into like broadcasting more so than like sharing and that made me sad for a little bit. But I'd be curious your experience because you've seen that that ride as well. Like does that line up with your experience?
0: Yeah, I'm trying. I definitely with the social networking stuff for sure because I remember I was like in it as an intern and I was on Twitter all the time. I had like tweet deck on my computer I had like hashtags for like videographer or film, like different stuff. And I was literally getting jobs from that. I was just seeing people post about it. And mind you, they weren't great jobs. They were like 500 bucks to go shoot and put something together. But at the time, I was just like, heck yeah, like my little 7D. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting now. I mean, I feel like Facebook does. Facebook never evolved, I think, to like keep the audience there. Because I feel like how many times have you heard people that were like, oh, this is great, I just wish it was more like a forum, right? There's no way to organize the chats, but you had the audience and it was very easy to connect with people. I think Discord's super rad. I just don't know if that will catch on or how long. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a gaming one, but... Yeah,
1: I've debated making... I honestly, so a little bit ago... A few weeks ago, uh, this was probably a few months ago now, I've gone through a few phases of like, obviously I like archived the group for a while and then everyone pretty much, I've accepted that like that whole thing is now just mostly a video village thing, which I'm fine with. Um, I think that what John Bragel's doing with the new variable like Mighty Networks thing is pretty cool. It's sort of, it's much more in line with what I think I wanted to do with like the Facebook group, but I was considering at one point, um, basically just being like, hey, we are archiving the Facebook group and just moving to a Discord channel. I think that there's a lot of opportunities with that. One of the things that I think is hard is there's a little bit of this paradox, which I think is part of what we've seen on all of these platforms, um, but especially the Facebook groups thing, is that scale is valuable to a point and then it becomes a liability. And that's one of the things that I still struggle with where I'm like, it would be cool to have a discord that was like capped at 500 people or something. Cause that was my sense of even like old school super secret was like the sweet spot was like 400 to a thousand. Definitely. And then once you get past that, it just sort of devolves. Um, and I feel like you see that in all these things, like even, I don't know if you're a member of the salon. I still love the salon, but there was like a heyday of the salon and now it's sort of just like deviating into this very general thing again. Um, which I struggle with cause it's like, I think a simple solution for that is like pay gating, not for the sake of it being super profitable, but even like masters in motion. Like that was something that I thought was really special. Be- and I think part of it was because the only people willing to spend like two or three grand on four or five days are people who are serious. And so you cut out a lot of the like dick measuring all this other stuff that's going on. Cause everyone's actually there to learn Um, so I don't know, like that was something I was toying with was like, what if we did a discord and made it like an annual thing or something? I don't know. Um, and like tried to do cool stuff with it, but yeah, it's a tricky space right now just with like the way the platforms are laid out and the way the audiences are and stuff. Cause like mighty networks and forums are cool, but there's a lot of, uh, energy spend necessary to get people off of all of their existing platforms and onto any other platform but none of the current platforms outside of like discord i guess really feel like they serve that really well
0: yeah it's almost like i mean i don't feel like being exclusive is a good thing especially in like a creative field i think you know even someone that's never stepped on set you know might have an idea i'm not saying on actual set it's always good to voice your ideas, kind of know, <laughs> know, you know, know the room a little bit. But it, it's to your point of like the social networking, I agree. It's, you know, when I had the cinematographer's insight similar, I mean, I feel like we were doing kind of similar stuff in our own ways, which is super cool. And I felt that too. It's like, man, when it was like three to 500 people, you know, in the beginning, my idea when I started with Phil Arntz was, was just like, Just super professional people like people that are I I think originally it was like full time freelancers like that was our target audience like if they're because to a point, you know, not saying that if you're working a full time job and doing this, you're any less of a filmmaker or, or talent wise, but it was just more if you're doing this full time seasoned and you're going through the highs and lows of getting the work not getting the work, always trying to like figure out what to do next. The conversation's just a little differently. And to me, it was just more relatable. But yeah, it's almost like, how can you allow, you know, almost like maybe podcast, I guess. I I like how the, like, even Clubhouse, you could control who was talking. And I, I don't want that to come off the wrong way. But it's like, I love that everyone can hear it and get the information and be welcome to, you know, learning. But at the same point, without sounding rude, it's like, not everyone deserves the chance to talk always I guess Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because like Mm -hmm. a pet peeve of mine and maybe it shouldn't be but for whatever reason it always angers me is when you go on like a Facebook group and someone's asking this question and they're just like overly opinionated and it's like you don't agree with them and for whatever reason that always grinds my gears because it's like just say you don't know or maybe just comment on the specific thing You know, I mean, I know you've experienced that. I mean, there's just people will just obviously want to talk. So I think that's like, that might be the threshold. Maybe it's a thousand people, maybe at, you know, under a thousand, under 500, enough people, it's small enough that people are not so easy to just throw out like kind of dumb ideas and silly thoughts sometimes.
1: Well, I do think there's an element of that too. That's like, um, it it comes down to something like moderation and i think to what you were saying too like it's not necessarily exclusivity although i don't think exclusivity is the worst thing i think that's one of the things that's like i feel like we have I value accessibility a ton, and it's something it's part of why I'm really passionate about all the things that I do is that it's like, okay, I want to like increase the level of access to this sort of information um to people who may not have it otherwise because it used to it didn't a lot of it didn't exist when I was coming up um and so it's sort of being a part of that story, but to what you're saying, I think there's some sense of access to the conversations, but participation is sort of an earned right, you know? And I think that's something that's like, whether that's through moderation, like that was something I was thinking about even with the whole like discord thing is like, what if it was an open channel or series of channels, but to write, there was some initial sort of like Buy in, which again isn't to say that, like, we want to make a bunch of money off people saying it's just to say, like, do you care enough about talking here? Or are you just gonna like schlep your links or you know, do whatever you want to do? That's like you have to get past some sort of like initial barrier. And then, okay, now you're in the group of people talking, and now we can sort of like tear it out above that a little bit. That's like, okay, as you invest in the community, you get more and more access to higher level conversations because I think that's one of the problems with a lot of this stuff is it's just like you get your, <laughs> it's it's just true. So I hope this isn't offensive, but you get your like crazy Middle Eastern event filmmaker that pops in and is like, "How do I plug this into this?" And then you start to get hundreds of them. Like that was part of why we had to make the group secret was cuz it just got this like international influx of people asking questions that were not relevant to the conversation we were trying to have. And it's like, "Okay, we need we do need some degree of a filter on this in order to maintain it." Um, and I think that it's not to say that we're better than anyone. It's just to say that for the good of everyone in this conversation to be maintained to a high level, not everyone gets to talk all the time, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's also just speaking to relevance. Like that's what I was kind of saying or trying to get at. It's like in the beginning of the conversations I had when those Facebook groups were small, like, they were so good because it was a small group that were doing work like mine. It's not to say it's not valuable, what camera is better than this, but it's like, when you've been in the industry for 10 years, you realize it, it, I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter what camera you shoot on, they're all a million times better than what we started out with. So it's like, not in a cocky way, but like any current camera I will make look great. I will figure out a way, I know a lot of tricks, you know? So it's like, so yes, that was relevant and I'm glad I know that information, but like, I I get so tired of seeing it every like other week, you know, asked yeah. about and then people get mad and then it's a whole thing and it's like, okay, so how do you just cut like those type of questions out, you know, without, you know, I don't know. And then also, I mean, you get it too. It's like when I'm busy in the summertime and I'm shooting 3-4 times a week, like I'm not spending 3 hours on the face, like I can't, I just can't. Like there's right. just no energy, no time. So it's I think at some point it you grow it to a point and then it's like you're either going to put a lot of time to, like, keep it where you want it or it's just got to go where it goes, which is what I felt like kind of happened with, with my stuff, too. Not in a bad way, but just yeah. at some point.
1: Well, I think that's one of those things that it's, like, at some point, um, like, even for myself with, like, that that initial round of stuff, it's like you you, you learn what you have to learn from it at some point, you know? And I think that sometimes there's this pressure to like keep doing it and keep making it bigger and better. And I think that's one of the things that I had to learn was that that wasn't necessarily the goal, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that comes back to just like specificity, which I think is, it's one of those fundamental universal costs is that being broader You end up watering everything down, you know, and I think that's part of the thing that's like, okay, well, we when we again, not exclusivity in the sense of gatekeeping, but exclusivity in the sense of focus. Like I think part of what made the salon really good at first was it was all like working commercial and narrative DPs. Who are sort of above a certain level, but also below a certain level. And so there's proximity that's like, okay, we all are dealing with the same problems. We're all in the same world. We all sort of have the same relative scale of like numbers and this sort of stuff. And we're all able to help each other, but there's enough shared context here that you can learn a lot. And that when you go too wide and go, okay, now it's anyone with a camera. And so you have like your person who got their first A7S and then like ASC people. Despite what we may think, it feels like the conversation does consistently get worse. And so there's some sense of like, okay, a community like that does need to have a clear focus because I think all of these communities, whether it's Super Secret or Cinematographer's Insight or The Salon or any of these things have had heydays when they felt really good. And to me, again, not speaking to... I love what Dave and those guys are doing with The Salon, but it's like at some point... I have ended up pulling out of all of them because it's like this is no longer the thing that I really liked, you know?
0: Yeah, it doesn't really become valuable, I think, at some point. You get to a point in your career. And even even like you, I mean, think, you know, you're talking about this podcast and podcasts you've done. I feel like you can see the conversation shift to just what you're interested in and, and what you're finding value to your career at this point, you know, whether it's like mental health or like... Finding the balance in life, or you know, business talks. It's like you know, most of us probably, myself included. It's like the first year trying to do this was all about making pretty images, and then it was like, oh wait, there's like accounting I need to learn, and yeah. <laughs> there's like getting new business, and there's you know how to how to kind of dance around in this like artistic but still business field, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. What um, what do you? tell people you do at this point
0: um man that's a good question I feel like I guess it depends on on who I talk to you know I guess I just say like commercial cinematographer partly I think it sounds cool and most people like ask a little bit like what what do you do um like or what have you shot like have I seen anything you shot um and depending on you know to be honest if i if i'm in a small business if, whether it's I'm getting my hair cut I'm out at the grocery store if i if there's some kind of conversation that strikes up that could be possible networking i tell them, i'm like oh i'm 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 a camera guy that that shoots a bunch of stuff around town and travel a little bit and then i run my own production company you know do a little stuff here and there so somewhere around there i kind of fumble that i also do that cuz you know you never know what that turns into work-wise. Right. so
1: well, because you're one of those guys who I feel like is a, uh, you're you're a multi-talented threat, right? And so it's like, that's where I'm always curious, like, because in my mind, a little bit from a distance, it's like, okay, I feel like Rob has done, like, production, direct-to-client and agency stuff. He's DP'd a lot of stuff. He's AC'd some stuff. And then in my head, I don't know if this is true, but in my head for a while, you were, like, focusing on gimbal stuff and, like, movement things. And so I guess my question is, like, is is all of that the dream, or like what's the thing that like if you were like, if I could fast forward five years and make all perfect decisions, I would be doing X.
0: Oh, good question. um I would say, you know, the dream for a while was definitely. I, I mean, I love the gimbal stuff, and I think the two parts of that. One, I just I truly nerded out with like what you could do, and and at the time the Ronin wasn't that great, and even the M. 10 i guess at the time you know with the batteries and it was just like it wasn't like a surefire thing to be successful um but i saw like how cool the gimbals were and how like at the time everyone was doing it so when the one came out i was just like okay this is cool one this is something i can just nerd out something i can tinker with in my basement um and and produce some cool stuff so like I didn't really have intentions to, like... I didn't even buy a travel case. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you have the Movi Pro. Have you done stuff? I was like, well, here's some test shots. Here's, like, the advantage. And then I'm getting flown to Florida to shoot some stuff for the Pirates. Then, like, fast forward, not much longer, I'm doing a music video for 21 Pilots. And at that time, that was the biggest... I mean, that had to be the biggest job I was on as anything. Was I mean, that I've with done Alex? Some, that was with... Um, yeah um it was andrew donahoe uh donahue is the director and i oh man i forget the dp because he wasn't the same as the second one um but it was a great experience like it was before the movie had even all the like the third party stuff so uh learned a ton um and then i think that just helped me do more you know and not that i specifically got more jobs from people seeing that video uh and even the second one i did from them but having that on my website and be able to use that in like conversations, you know, especially you mentioned agencies and, you know, agencies like, like the pizzazz, you know, they like to have the extra stuff and they pay for it. So to be able to say you were, you know, shot these like cool music videos or you operated, you know, these things and you use these kind of tools. Yeah. Um, I think that all, all helps. Um, so, for a while, when I was doing that, that was the dream. I'd say even now, it's like fast forward five years. Like, I'd love to be DPing those style music videos. Um, there's just like a... It, it, even even those, you know, the one was shot in like a 17-hour day, which is I know is crazy. But I just... I love that it's... You know what you're getting into. You have like the one chance to get it with the band's schedule. Maybe you have two days. But... Just the energy on it the creative freedom i mean they were blowing stuff up you're playing with lights you're doing stuff with colors like i i had i mean i would love to do that full time would be amazing and i love operating too um but realistically to be honest i don't know i i'd say fast forward to 10 years like i could see myself doing a lot more producing um i just feel like i've met so many great people and i've realized i'm not like the youngest person on set by no means am i old but like it's, like, nice to kind of see younger people and, and help, like, curate, you know, kind of the Pittsburgh crews and get to know people, take an interest in, in the PAs and try to help, like, find their way on set. And what I found now is, like, oh, now the people that were, you know, working for free or $100 to PA are now pulling focus and charging 6 $650. So it's, like, I've kind of, like, built a network without realizing it. And when I've gotten asked to, like, put together shoots, whether it's local or something a little bit bigger, I, I guess I'm surprised of how easy that is for me to do, where maybe like three, four years ago, I'd be like, oh gosh, that's a lot. But now it's just yeah. like, oh, this person, and I know this person, oh, and we can shoot here. It's like, I've been, and now in Pittsburgh, I've been here like seven, eight years. So you kind of just, I don't know, you feel like you kind of have some roots here, yeah. which is kind of
1: cool. That makes sense. That's really cool. It. Uh, it's funny, the thing you were saying about long days, I was, I was talking to someone about this recently, But um, I was talking about this idea that at some point I feel like the, okay, so like boundaries, totally valuable. Uh, The increase of value that you provide over time as you get really good at something, totally valid. I think for myself, I've come to terms with the idea that so much of my desire for like shorter days, simpler shoots, more money – was related to the fact that I just fundamentally didn't like what I was doing and so I had to put like a bigger and bigger carrot on the stick to get myself to go do it and that it's like when you're doing what you love all of that becomes significantly less relevant you know it's like okay 17 hour days we don't have the gear we really need like we're all gonna hustle but like everyone's in on it when they're actually into it and I feel like a lot of my experience in commercial world was like, no one's really into this, but we're just going to make up for it by like throwing enough money at everyone that they'll show up anyway.
0: Dude, I I agree. Yeah. It's, I I think like in in the music video, that's a good example for that because I'm the first one. It's like, if we're like dragging feet all day and it's like more than a 12 hour day, it's kind of like, what, there's a more efficient way to do this. But right. in that context, I guess what I liked is, is one, I knew what it was going into it. You know, I didn't work the day before I traveled in the day before and slept at the hotel. So it's like all the things were kind of done right to make it work. Um, and, and I think with the commercial, yeah, it's just, I think it's also hard if you're doing it back to back. Like if there's no, I feel like the older I get, the more I learned life is just a balance, like within every single choice and decision. Like, You know, sometimes you do have to work really hard and make the money. And if those are the only jobs available, then like, I don't know when the tough gets going, what is it? When the tough going gets tough, tough, the tough gets going. I know I said, gosh, I'm like the, those commercials I'm turning into my dad, (laughs) but, but it's true. I think sometimes you just have to put your head down and then I know you and I've both experienced this, but you can definitely put your head down for too long right? and you're fighting for all this money and then you realize like, oh man, like I've haven't hung out with friends in a while I haven't done anything for me in like a couple months yeah it's like that that will definitely tear you down too
1: yeah 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 yeah. that that sort of like that personal balance is tricky but like that's something that's even for us on like doing more both like original content and still some client stuff it's something that I've actually been challenging for us is this idea of like there's a lot of value. I, 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 I deeply understand. I feel like the day rate system of production, but like something that we've been playing with more is this idea. That's like, if you're trying to make something really good and you're trying to make something really good, that's smaller to the efficiency thing. Sometimes it's better for us to do like three, three hour days than one big stupid day. And that it's actually, for me, from like a balanced perspective, it actually ends up feeling better because it's like, okay, we can just go like shoot in the morning, shoot the good light, get our two or three scenes, get out, and then go like have the rest of the day to actually be a human being again. And then we like come back and shoot like an evening or whatever. Um, But that it's a little bit less of like an all or nothing, like, okay, we have four days of insanity and now a week of doing nothing that it's like we're playing with some of the people we work with of like, The big question is, like, are you into that? Because I totally – I also respect the conversation. It's like half days aren't a thing. It's like, yeah, that's true. But if you're able to, like, work consistently enough to make the money you need to be happier with the product and your days aren't crazy, then, like, I think that's a different thing than people being like, oh, we want you to work six hours At the same thing you always do still in the middle of the day you still can't do anything else with your day and we want to pay you less money you know um so it's definitely like a tricky dynamic but that's something that we've been playing with because i don't know about you but i've been on so many shoots where it's like man this just should have been two days and we should have just skipped the middle of the day you know and like i didn't even need more money i just would have been happier (laughs) if we did it that way you know
0: dude totally and i think there's some and and i get it i get it because i've been on the conversations on client side but it is a little frustrating when you you know full day ten hours out, of, and you're shooting and you're doing really well and you're crushing through, and it's like you might be rapping a couple hours early and they're like well you know we got Sally from accounting to, and it's like well is this are we is it well you know you're here it's like a, all right great it's like that's right. not really the the point either but uh, no man I've actually been I, I I like that you're saying that I'm gonna try to reword it differently but I've been navigating a similar. Situation uh with a few people where it's like they don't need full days every time. it's just like a little bit like the one jewelry client like it's like a couple hours to shoot models wearing the jewelry, and then it's another time that might be you know seven hours, six hours of shooting the pieces macro so it's like I would rather we've just worked out to be' it's like let's just split this up in two or three days, like I can just come chill, quickly do it, versus like trying to do everything in a ten hour day
1: right. No, totally. And I think that's something that's like, we've really gotten away from overly granular scoping of things. I understand the reasons you would do it, but like, I think you do often box yourself into a corner now where it's like, okay, well, what you're paying for is two 10 hour chunks of time. And so then now the client's like, well, if that's what we get, we have to maximize that, you know, which makes sense if that's what you're paying for. But so we've tried to rework a lot of how we talk about things that it's like, we're not line iteming you for gear. We're not charging you for 10 hour days. We're like, we're trying to figure out what you actually need and what the actual value of that is. And then like everything that goes on behind the scenes on our end, that's like, whether that means some of these short days or whether that means like, Hey, we're just going to go, uh, you know, shoot some quick social stuff for two hours for you or whatever it is. Like the money can all still work out, but when you're measuring all in these like 10 hour multi-thousand dollar blocks, it actually also makes it really hard to make something that's mutually beneficial sometimes where I've had stuff we've done. That's like ends up being more profitable than like full day, big commercial stuff, because we're doing like a bunch of little stuff that we were just willing to have a better conversation about. And they're like, Oh, that's worth a bunch of money to us. Cause there's more deliverables than us trying to do one big two minute video, you know?
0: Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said on that. Like, I think also not that people don't care about quality, but I think that, the fact that quality is so much easier to get to, I think, at least in my experience in the commercial world, clients are valuing the content, like the the quantity of content. Not to say it doesn't need to look good, but I think, you know, you even look at YouTube, everyone doing any video, like any camera that's come out in the past couple of years, I just think looks good. It just has like a certain HD 4K look that for a lot of brands are like good enough, right? Yeah. A lot of shoots especially if it's just like internal recruiting or whatever um, yeah that that's interesting just to get more outputs and I just think with everything like I have the new MacBook Pro and I'm I love editing now I, I used to edit didn't do it for a while but now that it's like so fast and easy I'm like man this is great so I wonder if there's something to be said that too is that like is the offerings to pitch clients at least in the space we're talking about more about, giving more outputs, like what can you do in a couple of days, build a lot. Li- I mean, I guess I've been doing that a little bit too. A lot of like, just shoot a ton of B roll and then like make a bunch of different edits and update old videos and kind of just recycle it a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think even just the way that like, that was something that I had, to, <laughs> I feel like almost like reckon with for myself is this idea that's like, I had gotten so into the paradigm of like only doing these like high dollar like single deliverable things that like that was all i felt like i wanted to make for people but it's like when you're like oh how do we make like seven or eight things like even like we just filmed this uh cycling team building their new race bikes for the season and it's like that we can probably make like 10 different deliverables out of that by the time it's all done. Cause it's like, we can do a little teaser at it and then we'll do a longer thing. And then we'll do like some little sound bites of them talking about like the different products that their sponsors, you know, why they use what they use. Um, and so like, there's a lot more room to be creative with that, but it's also, It's still a ton of it's in many ways for me more fun. And it's a much easier pill for everyone to swallow than going like, okay, we're gonna put all our money in this Hail Mary that we have to try and do one thing with. That it's like, okay, well now you have a thing that like this one sponsor is really gonna love. And if you don't get anything else out of it, like that's enough. And then this thing that like your fans are really gonna love, and this thing that is mostly for you, and like we're just sort of like giving you a bunch of stuff to tell the story you're trying to tell, but in a lot of more bite sized pieces a lot of the time.
0: No, that's great too. So it's like you're making different outputs for the audience you want. Yeah, that's really cool. I bet I bet that have you tracked have you done that recently? Like for or for other like brands? Like to track if that's like gotten more direct interaction or anything? Or is this the first one?
1: I don't um I don't track a whole lot of stuff anymore, to be honest. That was one of the big things going into this year is I actually first, like, deep dove into all the statistics, and the deeper I got into it, the more I sort of felt like it just doesn't matter. Um, And I think that's one of the big things that we've actually been pushing for people too is this idea that's, like... I think it's really easy to get sidetracked by metrics. And so like on social, like view counts a big one. It's like, oh, well, did this get as many views as the next thing? And it's like, well, 10,000 views of a reel that causes no one to do anything is not any better than 200 views of a five minute long video that causes six people to hire you. So let's not get caught up in ego numbers. And so much of that game quickly turns into that of everyone chasing the tail of how do we create the highest organic reach. And it's like, I don't know that organic reach is really that important for most people either. It's like you talk to most clients and they're like, Oh, we need, we're looking for five new customers or a 10% increase in our existing relationship with customers or whatever else. And it's like, then why are we trying to show all this stuff to a million random people? Like we're sort of playing the wrong game here to begin with, you know?
0: Yeah, it does seem like there, I don't know, for some reason I'm bridging back our original conversation. Like, there definitely seems to be something with a smaller target, like a smaller niche that you're going for. But it's. All, I guess it's always playing the numbers. Like, how big can you make it without losing your, like, intentions, your initial yeah. intentions?
1: Well, and I think that's he, where, I just, the sense that I have is that, like, the the better you make something... The there's some element of your existing audience which is relevant too, but like it will. It will, na- it will self-regulate to the audience at this point in the algorithm that it deserves in many ways. And so like some stuff you put out and I've watched this where it's like it is a more niche message and it goes to like 2,000 people. And then you say something broader and it goes to like 7,000 people. And I think there's this tendency to want to like resist that. And it's like, no, it's self-regulating. It's all still finding the people it needs to. Um, and that's where like, I posted this like thing on Easter a few days ago and like, it didn't go like really big compared to like a lot of other real stuff I've done, but I've had so many people like mention that to me in person. So it's like people are still seeing it and being impacted by it. Whereas like the real, maybe 5,000 people in France swiped by it and double tapped it. But like, does that actually mean anything? You know?
0: Yeah, I guess there's it's hard probably unless you do like custom links in like the video, I guess it'd be hard to track how many, like what views did that actually bring? Like did the customer really get, become a customer because of the video? Yeah. Or is that what that brought them in? But
1: Well, and that's where part of my like fundamental thing at this point is I think that the more that you can like tell the truth and create depth and understanding of like what you do and who you are, in the long run, all the stats of like audience and customer retention and everything else will all follow. But we often get really caught up in jumping the gun on that. And I think that's the big thing that's like, to me, even as much as I know, it's controversial. (laughs) At this point, you talk about like drive to survive. And it's like, why does Drive to Survive work? Because it allows people who don't understand F1 to understand F1. And that's all that you need to do because the minute people can understand it and wrap their head around it, they're now bought into it. And so it's like they're not sitting here trying to sell F1 in my mind in the way that a lot of like commercially content would try to sell the product. It's just that like the more that you help help people see what's real about stuff, the deeper the thing comes and then now you know, like you would say, like, Drive to Survive isn't super share-friendly, right? Like, oh, social content, it has to be shareable, so let's try and make cookie stuff. I have heard no other piece of content that I can think of in the last five years that I've heard people in person talk about as much as Drive to Survive. And that's one of the other things that I think is funny. Like, people talk about share-friendly. Like, even this podcast, I don't promote it. And part of that, to me, I'm spoiling my own game here, is that The irony is when you don't promote things, the people who really like it then feel motivated to promote it instead, which is the real goal. And when everyone's out here pushing all their stuff all the time, everyone goes like, oh, well, I don't have to talk about what you do because everyone else probably already sees what you do because you're pushing the algorithm really hard. And then when you don't bother to push the algorithm, people actually step in and go, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And, like, that's a better experience for all the parties. So we're not really trying to, like, game the share system. We're just trying to make really deep connections with people. And if they're small, that's okay because the people who got the deep connections will now become real-world supporters who will go, you should follow this account. You should hear about this racing team. You should listen to this podcast, which is – in my experience way more practical than trying to game the algorithm to get people to subscribe to your stuff
0: definitely yeah i think you just build a uh, a stronger audience if that's the right word you know yeah. you just build an audience that is like a little bit more passionate and it, yeah i think i mean for me the drive to survive i thought that was just amazing i mean that is just like a case study you know whether i think at the end of the day it was made and paid for to advertise f1 but i think the they did it in such a passionate way like i became such a fan i mean i've always been into cars but then the first season i just feel like they take you through this is what formula one is this is how the season goes right And it's not like done in a boring way they're doing it while people are getting fired and there's drama and there's like people getting arrested and like millions of dollars getting thrown around hundreds of million dollars i mean it's just like it's it's a soap opera with sports and and more but yeah i love how they did that and it's funny because it seemed like this season which i get it they tried to do something different i don't know why but i felt like that this season was like the least exciting until the very end where it's almost like they waited to talk about the championship fight to the very end like they had to get through other things first but Anyways, yeah, I, I think on that they just, I just felt the passion that the filmmakers felt, like just the shots they had, and it's kind of like an ESPN 30 for 30. It
1: yeah. It felt like. Yeah.
0: They did a great job.
1: Yeah, I love that. I would love to talk to them about the logistics of like producing that, because like, I don't know, maybe this information is out there, but I'm always curious. It's like either they get really lucky consistently, it feels like, or I feel like they must shoot like, two or three teams every weekend, and then they just air whichever one ends up being the best and kill the rest, you know? Because it's like, how does it always play out that they're like, oh, we're going to follow Ferrari going to this weekend, and, like, that's the weekend that the great thing happens for Ferrari, you know? That's Uh, true. I'm just curious, like, how they think about and plan through that stuff, and, like, who do you have where, and how much redundancy do you have, and how much is it just like, well, it is what it is, and if they suck, they suck, and I don't know.
0: I'm sure there's a mix. I'm pretty sure they did have multiple crews going, but uh, I wasn't a part of it. So I don't know. That's just from people talking. But it also, like, if you follow the sport, you can kind of see where some of the through lines are, you know, what what is, like, on the line for certain people. So I'm guessing just following it. But you are right, though. It just seemed like they were always hitting, like, the craziest stuff. It's also, like, and especially now, if anyone watches the sport, they have different cars this year which follow much closer and pass all the time so I feel like especially this year I mean you could follow any any number of drivers and there's something happening yeah it's exciting
1: yeah but. definitely you're a, you're kind of a car guy right yeah are I got you? my I got
0: my racing sim over here. You can't see it,
1: Ugh, dude. I was, so I was at B and H the other day, and they had like a uh, I don't know what it was. It was just some like Logitech racing wheel and pedals and stuff, and like th- I think it was like three TVs. And yeah. I was immediately like, I don't enjoy like console racing games. Like I've played like Gran Turismo and stuff before, and it always just feels annoying to me for some reason. It's like if I'm gonna play like a game like that, I want to play Mario Kart or something. <laughs> but like having pedals and a wheel. I was like, "Oh, this is totally different now," and I can totally see myself getting sucked into this.
0: Oh yeah, I'm I'm all I got the three screens and I built like a little frame with the 8020 aluminum with the seat and all that. I just, yeah, it started with just uh, during COVID. I was like, "Well, I got nothing to do, so I got the steering wheel," and I just like started with that, and then just I got obsessed. So and now I'm mm. go karting a little bit, which oh, is yeah? fun. Dude, it's a great, uh, it's a, you would like it too, just for like the uh, mental exercise. Like once I was like really got into, at first I wasn't trying to be competitive and I took my time and then like I got impatient because I knew I was faster than people. And then when I passed them, I got like real into it and then like couldn't think of anything else. It was the best thing. You just kind of get in the zone and try not to crash. It was fun.
1: Is this like... The like fast recreational go karts or like out on a real track go karts.
0: Yeah, these are they're fast. They're electric. They're indoor, but you wear the full helmet. I mean, you only hit the full speed like once or twice, and that uh, the it's like a thirty second loop. So yeah. it, it's pretty rad. It was real, it was a lot of fun. My buddy and I went. We we got there around like three p.m. when it opened. I think we left at like seven p.m. or
1: oh nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That was actually was what great. I was going to ask you because I feel like I've seen that you're like into car stuff and I was just curious how you – something that I've been trying to be better about this year is like integrating myself into the cultures that I like instead of being an outsider all the time because I feel like there's this tendency to be like, oh, like I'd love to make car content or like I'd love to do cycling stuff. And it's like, okay, realistically, if I want that to happen, I have to actually be in those worlds, you know? And so I've been mm-hmm. trying to like – find ways to stick my fingers into all these things that are interesting for myself. And then it's been cool. Cause like there are opportunities that come out of that, but I was curious with like car stuff, like if it was on the driving side or if you're like a tune up project cars kind of guy, or like if it's mostly going to watch races or like, how do you actually end up connecting with car culture?
0: Yeah, I guess all of it when I was younger, I was just always obsessed with cars. I don't know why just thought they were cool. And I remember like in high school, my sister had a Civic um, and for whatever reason, I just, you know, fast and furious, all that. I was super into it. So there were times my dad would like come home and I'd have her like front bumper taken off and he'd be, what are you doing? I'm just like, I don't know. It's just messing around. So I don't know if that's like, I feel like I'm still like that. I mean, I like when I was little, I used to get my hands stuck in a rat trap because I was trying to play with my dad's tractor and mess with it, I guess. I, I don't know. So for whatever reason, I just like to tinker with things. So cars were one of them. And then... I think the, uh, sometime when I was in D.C., Red Bull had those, um, oh, what are they even called? Like the rally car races, like Ken Block and, and those guys. So I got to shoot something with that by chance. It was someone I met on an airplane, oddly enough, and then got a job with uh, Andretti Motorsports. Um, and then that got me that job. So that was really cool. And then nothing really happened. I remember uh, when I started doing the gimbal, I was just like, oh, I can definitely do like car stuff. And I have the the things in the rental house let me borrow like pieces, of the black arm and speed rail and, and a key grip helped me rig it. So I just shot like test footage, you know, uh, with the intention to use to basically say, look what I can do. Um, and then that, that got me like some, uh, I forget what it's even called. It's just car to car footage, running car footage, I think is the name. So like when dealerships need beautiful shots of their, you know, GMC going through a sunrise or something like that on a, city road uh so i shot i shot two different things for that for different cars which was fun and then yeah that just kind of opened the door i mean i feel like once people see you're doing something and you're posting something on instagram it like for whatever reason in my experience has allowed more jobs to happen and then i got some stuff with uber and yeah nice that kind of that kind of crossover i mean i've tried to do races i've gone to race as a fan um uh chris morrison of robo aerial he did something with ferrari like a year ago so i got to go out and film him Doing aerial stuff for a Ferrari race, which was cool. Um, but that was the only, yeah, that's the only race film stuff I've done. But would love to do more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I guess that's where, like, for me, it's, like, uh, I don't know about, like, you with the car stuff, but for me, I've found that, like, the more that I just let myself, like, get into that stuff for the sake of being into it, that the more the more one it's fun either way where like, I feel like there's been times in the past that I was like, Oh, I want to like try and get into this for the sake of like being able to do work in it. But that when it's like, when I do it, cause I love it, one, you just end up having a blast. But two, then it's like, there are these like cool opportunities that end up popping out. Um, so I don't, I guess I wasn't even that curious about like the film side of it, but even just like, I've never been to a real race. i worked once at a NASCAR event. But we couldn't really, like, see it. It was actually, like, an event audio. Like, there was, like, a concert in, like, the middle of the day or something. And so I was, like, helping out a buddy who had an event business. But we were there as sort of, like, cars were whizzing by because we were, like, in the middle of the track. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I really – I would love to go to um, where – I thought I heard – so there's Miami. Is there another U.S. F1 circuit opening or is it just Miami?
0: Yeah, so for or the – Las well, Vegas. I
1: mean- is yeah, like Las
0: it? Vegas will be next year. Every year for a long time, Austin has been the only track. I mean, back in the day they raced in Detroit. They did. I mean, they did. I think they even did uh Watkins Glen, but basically the cars just got too fast. They got too fast and they couldn't the tracks are too small, so mm. um the Miami thing's pretty exciting if anyone is a fan or is becoming a fan. Miami's an exciting investment because they didn't just throw together like this street circuit. I mean, they they really put together like a world-class circuit. So that just shows that they're that's you know, this is not the only year they're going to come back to Miami. So hopefully that's every year and then Vegas should be pretty exciting. I believe like part of the track runs down the strip or whatever, so that should be pretty pretty wild
1: yeah that's crazy um, that'd be cool to see i would love to go to a race like that in person it's fun
0: though. yeah and the uh and i forgot i've shot nascar too uh last year when i was in nashville it was a smaller track but yeah man it was it's crazy loud I, like being there in person and just smelling it and seeing it and being there it's it's cool it's a fun sport um and it's funny I, I agree with you when you do it not for if you're doing like a spec project or something just for fun and maybe not for the work it always turns out better like mm. I, I definitely want to do i think it'd be fun to do i want to talk to the people at the go-kart track and just be like can i like just for fun it's like i have enough like rigging and stuff as like can i just like i just want to rig the fx3 you know and do some cool like car rigging shoot you know maybe do some little 120 segments or something i think it could be fun yeah so
1: we've been um we've been playing with starting to do a series um I have not said this out loud publicly, but I guess I am now, uh, which is something like we've been playing with calling it like challenge accepted, um, but basically the premise for me is something like jackass and dirty jobs and uh, I don't know, something else. Ha- I a lot of people say yes theory, which I've never really watched yes theory, but sort of like going to these <clears throat> places, like the the carding thing would be cool where it's like, okay, like let's find someone who's like a legit cart racer and then go take like me and you or me and someone else and go basically sign up to be the idiots. That's like, we're going to get our teeth kicked in, but it's going to be fun. And for me, part of it is this idea of like showcasing how good people are at things, showcasing the value of like doing things, whether or not you're good at them and the power of just like putting yourself in a place to like have fun and learn and see whatever comes with it. And so there's like a bunch of stuff that's like, I've always wanted to learn a backflip and I've never done it. We have a buddy who's a gymnast who was like, we could teach you how to do a backflip or like my buddy of mine did our first uh, bicycle road race last weekend. And so it's like, let's just find stuff we've like never done uh, and go film it, but try to make it like, you know, I think there's something to me to that intersection of like, vlogging and reality tv and like cinematography where like you can make something actually really cool now that's like oh we can make it really real but the upside of like when you have people who have all this experience is like we can do some really cool stuff now too where it's like oh we could like rig fx3s on all the go-karts and then go around and like make a real show out of it but it doesn't have to be a million-dollar thing. But that's one of those things that's like, I just think it would be fun. So we're trying to figure out doing that this Dude, summer. that's so
0: awesome. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for me, I'd definitely be interested in hearing, especially if you're grabbing people, because no matter what you get super good at, if you get amazing at anything, piano, uh, mu—you know, music instrument, film, go-karts, cooking, it's like most of the time you have some kind of story of how you got there mm-hmm. and you usually didn't get there just by, you know, spending a weekend on it. Right. So it's always interesting to hear how, you know, that's what I love in podcasts in general, like what they get, like, whether it's an athlete or a writer or someone like, you know, very highly acclaimed in whatever they do. It's always interesting to hear. And I don't know, the one common thread I get from most people is they have some kind of mental health regiment, and they put in more and more time than you think you would have to do it you know like it's just like it's crazy it's like you see all these people and you're, oh, i could never do that and then luckily with social media and, and podcasts you know everyone's able to find whoever story they look up to and it's just like man the amount of hours and time yeah it takes uh, yeah is really cool and, I, and that's what i think it's cool um with with what you're saying specifically with the racing or go-karting because it's even you know anytime you tell someone that doesn't know anything it's like oh you just you know you hit the pedal fast and you you and it's like, well, you kind of do that, but it's like, when you only have 20 people in the world that are able to do it, it's like the amount of persistent precision, you know, and skill they have. Um, and that's what I think, even with the sim racing, I got into it because it's, what other sport can you go up against a pro and not get hurt and, and right. really see how much better, like during the pandemic, I mean, these they're kids. These guys are 24, 22 years old, F1 drivers, and a lot of them... We're on like iRacing racing in the simulator. so there's a couple times I was in the same like practice. and it's just like you're trying your best just to like see them. and it's like after two turns, it's just like they're like five seconds away from you. It's like, how are you that good? you know yeah. I had a cool experience too with because uh, I played hockey in college. and by no means did I ever think I was going pro, but I thought I was good. And I got a cool couple jobs with the Capitals right after. So I was actually on the ice with them. And it's like immediate. You're just like, oh my God. Like I've never been scared playing hockey, but like these dudes are like, I mean, I'm not a big guy anyways, but it's just like, you guys are so fast. It's like you put the puck right. It's just like crazy to see how good athletes are. I mean, I know you've done a lot of sports. I remember one time Julie Ertz, you know who that is? She's a professional soccer player. She's like, uh, her husband is Zachard. She was a linebacker oh, for the yeah, Eagles. Yeah. So like Olympic soccer player, like I think she's gotten like athlete of the year multiple times. We were shooting some stuff with her in the streets of Philly. And, you know, of course it's like, all right, we're going to do you jogging down this little alleyway. And, you know, you do a light jog and it just didn't look good. And she even looked at me, she's like, did that work? I was like, nah, I was like, we'll just we'll just run fast. And so they were so funny. They're all worried about her getting hurt, right? And then I was like, well, we'll just run, you know, whatever. It's just yeah. like, girl like in three steps is like 10 feet ahead of me and I'm fast like I am not a slow person by any means and I was just like I've never ran against someone that was like and again I'm still holding a camera but I was just like it's just like shows you it's just like wow that's what it takes to be like that tier of an athlete yeah. I don't know why I went down that ran, I'm sorry but it was just no.
1: <laughs> interesting I,
0: comparison to see
1: it well and I think that's one of the things that's like I think that's part of to me the like Conceit of the show is like finding people who are good at things. Like, there's a lot of people who would consider me at least like a decent athlete, and I would say I am a decent athlete, but then like you get in this world of like my the example I bring up too much because it continually blows my mind is this whole thing where it's like world level like Kipchoge's marathon pace is like 420 or something, or like 426. And I'm like, literally, you you give us the last 300 feet to the finish line. He gets to run the whole marathon. I start 300 feet out, and I have to dead sprint him for the line. He still wins. I can't run a quarter mile at that pace. Like the dude, literally, like as someone who has run a 5:46 mile, which is pretty fast. fast. No, that like, dude, any,
0: anything under six minutes is legit. I feel like,
1: but yeah, but the idea that you're gonna run. Th- 26 sub four thirties is absolutely bonkers. Like it's just like the curve at the end just goes like whoop. And you're like on a whole nother level. So his five
0: K time is like 11 minutes. Then <laughs> Oh yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I was just talking to Mandy about that. Cause she's been working on, um, She's been working on running a little bit um and her first goal was just to like run a mile without stopping and now she's trying to like get her time down. So yeah, the 5k world record is 12:35. Which is like I remember when that was like a reasonable mile for me. Dude, you know, I know like It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy what people can do man, but I mean Dude, I think I guess- that shows
0: cool. I th- I love that like exploratory cuz it's like I mean, I won't, I, I've just been floating the idea. It's funny you mentioned that's like, literally within this week, I was just thinking of, like, stuff I would like to do or things I think I would be good at. Um, and I was just like, man, it'd be really fun to just, like, host, like, a little, like, what's there to do in Pittsburgh. Like, I think Pittsburgh has so many cool things. And I'm like, I wonder if there's something to be, like, not just food, but it's almost like you have a night in Pittsburgh. What can you do? Yeah, I feel like I answer that for whenever people visit. And it's like, oh, I need to make a list because there's, like, so many cool things. But... Yeah, just a way to explore and learn and talk with people. Like, I think that would be so rad, any type of thing like that.
1: Well, and the thing that always ends up shocking me, um, and I'm curious, like, your experience even with your own podcast and and whatnot, was, like, my experience with most of these things has been you're like, oh, that would be a cool idea, but, like, it wouldn't happen. And even just, like, the couple people I've told about this, like, I had a buddy who was like, oh, I have a friend who's, like, a national-level motocross athlete We could get like a track and bikes for a day and teach you to like jump a dirt bike. And I was like, that'd be fucking sick. Like, but people are just immediately like, it was sort of like the thing when people are like, how do you know Greg Frazier? And I was like, I literally DM'd him on Instagram and like, and now we talk sometimes, but it's like, you just start doing it. It's like, if you start doing the Pittsburgh thing, I feel like in short time, you'd probably have people being like, Hey, you should come do this or check out that. Like people like cool stuff, you know? And like, want to be a part of helping people do cool stuff. This,
0: um, this, all this made me just think of, and it's, I, I actually like, I took notes when we talked, I was like, ooh, things I could mention. Have you ever heard of the book called The Third Door? No. I know you're a reader. Um, it's, it's one of my favorites. I think it's, is it Alex, uh, I'll, I'll get the info to send you so you can post, but it's called The Third Door. Yeah. Um. And basically, you know, I I also, I feel like you can also read the right book at the right time, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you're open for what's happening. Basically, his concept is like, he compares what the third door is, is like getting into a club, right? Mm -hmm. So you can wait, in, and this is going to be compared to business, so you can those listening can kind of have that in the back of their mind. So, so the first way to get in the club is what? The easiest way is to just wait in line. You can get there four hours early, wait in line. There's no guarantee you're going to get in, right? I mean, they might just, friends and whatever. Mm-hmm. The other way you get into this club is your VIP. You know the right people, you kind of get in the back door, um, you know, and that's hard to do. There's some other workings to allow you to get into that back door, whether you're the person that did something or you know someone that knows someone that's how you get in And then the third door is the one that you go by yourself with no one else you know no one else in that club but you just feel like you have to get in it so you move a garbage can and you stand on top of that and you climb in a window you know you go through the back you find a service door that was slightly open and you sneak in that way now i just want to clarify this i'm not saying to break in people do not do not do anything illegal the, the, the concept, because I've told people yes. that before at like a college talk and the professor's like, well, now, Robert, we want to make sure no one's doing anything illegal. I was like, that is not where my mind is, but. It, yeah, okay. It, so no, the options
1: no. are wait in line, become really talented, or just break in.
0: <laughs> yeah, or just find your own way. Like, like okay, here's like a like a perfect example, and I'm sure you've done it too. I mean, for cars, like I, I the typical thing, oh, you don't have anything on the cars, you're applying for stuff, you're telling people you can do this, you know, in your head, you can do it. Um but no one was hiring me to do it so instead of waiting in line keep calling or you know even not saying this is a bad way but maybe finding someone else that's doing it and assist them so i could go with them i said well i know i can do it and i have the resources so i called friends and i did it on my own and then i put the video out there and then it you know i got in that way it's it, and it's like anything you're doing it's like You know, so many people are like I wrote a script and I have this and how do I talk to Netflix? It's like first of all, no, that's not how it works. You know, it's like you got to go shoot something on your own One of my one of my stories. I really like that are not mine I shouldn't say my story a story. I like that I use for inspiration sometimes is the movie whiplash I don't know if you ever saw the movie whiplash. I love it. I think it's phenomenal I think they did an amazing job the story that though the script like everyone said no, 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 no so what they did is they pulled their own money together and they shot one scene of the movie to say this is a good movie and then they got full funding for it.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, man. I mean, and that's that was one of the big things for me, I think, going through last year and everything else and sort of like taking a break and COVID forcing me to step away from commercials was just getting some perspective on this idea that's like, man, there's all this stuff that I've always really wanted to do. And I feel like I've gotten caught in this loop of like waiting for permission or for funding from other people to do it. And I was like, I've got the skills at this point. I've got the gear, like even some of this stuff, it's like, I've done enough of my own physical work to like be able to be in this space and not be a total fool, but like still learn. And so it's like, I'm just going to start doing it like, and people will get on it or they won't, but like, I'm not going to sit here. I was, you know, spending all this time being like, how do we like convince bike companies, to like let us make cool cycling content. And it was like, why don't we just start doing it? And like, who cares if the big brands are into it because we have to your, to your thing. It's like, I already have so much of what I want. Like all they have to give me is money and I don't even really need money to do this.
0: Yeah, to start it. You know, it's obviously you want to make money eventually or figure out a way, you know, to make it feasible and profitable. But, yeah, you're right. To to get in the club, so to speak, if we're using that analogy, it's like you don't need anyone's permission to start doing it. And I think that's, like, it's also on the balance. You know, I think anything in the extreme doesn't work out well. So it's like, yeah, at some point, definitely do it on your own, your own way. But I think it's also important to realize, like, it pertaining to film there's a reason it's done a certain way and it's been done away for a very long time it's not to say it's always the best way but i think sometimes you know the younger filmmakers even us even myself when i when i first came in there's always that you know you see things that you maybe you could do better or easier and it's like you want to fight the system right away before maybe learning the system right i i think of any innovator in our in our field it's like They were kind of already doing it and mastering the way it was already done. But at the same time, they were pushing, you know, their own way of doing it, which I think is cool. Whether that's like styles of filming, you know, like the darkness and the blues and the greens and moving colors in. And, you know, I think, I think there's just been a lot of trends, um, and it's been and and even on set i mean luckily a lot of things have changed with like i just felt like it used to be so like uh i don't want to say union because that's not saying all unions are bad but very like strict you know on sets and and people's attitudes and like now i feel like it's definitely a more lively fun laid back atmosphere which is nice but if if you came in five years ago and you're like man you guys are all mean and you just said what everyone did wrong and tried to force your own way i don't think that's really gonna create much change or open a lane for you, so to speak.